This is FuelCast Georgia, an open forum modeling excellence in Georgia school nutrition through inspiring, engaging, and impactful conversations, connecting those who want to make a difference in the lives of our children and communities. Ladies and gentlemen, it's now time for FuelCast Georgia. Everyone and welcome back to FuelCast. I'm Rolandria Boyce. You can call me Ro. I have two special guests joining us today, Michael DuBose and John Huff. These are our culinary specialists for the Georgia School Nutrition Program. So as you all know, school nutrition has a diverse workforce comprised of people who have had non-traditional pathways into the field. This diversity is what often makes school nutrition so extraordinary. Mike and John, we're so happy you're able to join us today. As I mentioned, many school nutrition professionals have taken unconventional pathways to school nutrition. So I want to learn a little bit about you all. How did you all find your way to school nutrition? Mike, we'll start with you. Hi, everybody. Um, I kind of found my way to school nutrition kind of in a roundabout way. I've been in the culinary industry as an executive chef for over 25 years in hotels and restaurants and that type of stuff. We moved to this area here in Georgia when my wife uh, got transferred for a job with the airline. And uh, I was looking something different, tired of being on my feet 16, 18 hours a day. And wanted to be able to do something where I made a difference in people's lives. And that's where I found a position with the uh, Fayette County Schools. Joined up there with a uh, lead nutrition manager handling trainings and free and reduced meals. Awesome. Uh, that lure to school nutrition about having an impact, that seems to be a common theme for everyone. John, let's hear your story. Yeah, so mine's not too um, dissimilar from Michael's. I'm, I've been in the restaurant business my entire professional career, but for the past four years or so, I've been actually in the nonprofit sector working with food insecurity in Barrow County, where I live. And through that work, through my nonprofit, I work closely with our local school district, got to know the district managers and that sort of thing. And they told me that I had a kind of a knack for school nutrition and teaching and that when this position opened up, they told me I should jump on the culinary specialist for a Godot. And I'm really happy they let me know about it because I really feel like this is the the next step in my career. Like Michael said, working in restaurants can be grueling. I miss it, but at the same time, I have three young kids and I like to kind of have that nine to five job nowadays. So yeah, I completely um, understand. Yeah. <laughs> so you talked a little bit about, you mentioned insecurity. That was where you worked. Um, that was where your primary focus was. Of course, our program has a huge impact in that area. Can you tell us a little bit about how your background or your work in food insecurity supports maybe your current role and maybe your thought processes? Yeah. So um, with, with the nonprofit I was working in, I work mostly with kids through teaching kind of the whole seed to plate is what we talk. We, we had a garden. So we taught growing practices, harvesting all the way up to healthy cooking and nutrition. And I think that's where my role as a culinary specialist for Godot kind of fits in, in the sense of trying to translate nutritious meals into school cafeterias and then providing training um, for some of the staff. In my nonprofit, we worked closely with the school district through the farm to school program. And so we were trying to increase the amount of fresh produce that was grown locally, either actually some of the produce was actually grown on the school campuses themselves or from local farmers. But then we found that school nutrition staff, they would get in some produce that they had maybe never seen before or never had to work with in such quantities and bulk. Um, so then I would come in and help provide training locally to school nutrition to say, okay, you have 
a hundred pounds of sweet potatoes. Here's the easiest way to prep them and cook them quickly, efficiently, and nutritious. So that's kind of how this rolled into this job for me. Awesome. So it's it's wonderful to hear those culinary connections, which is something we'll talk a little bit about later. Okay, so Mike, I heard you were in the military. Can you tell us how this contributes to how you execute your job functionalities as a culinary specialist for Georgia School Nutrition Program? When I was in the military, I was doing weapon systems and stuff, so it was kind of a far fetch from doing culinary. But when everybody goes in the military, they always had to do their uh, mess duty time. So even then, I was still had my finger on the culinary side of things, and that's kind of what gave me when I got out of the military to go to culinary school and go forward with this. But doing that, the military aspect of it kind of ties into the attention to detail and the focus and the teamwork, not just telling people how to do things, but doing it all by example. You're working with your, you know, nutrition managers, your staff, that you can really find out what their needs are and find solutions to help correct or make their jobs easier. Awesome. So it seems like your organizational skills from your military background benefit you and you as kind of a community organizer, John, all of those pieces that come together kind of make this magical culinary specialist role that serves our school nutrition stakeholders. So I want to ask a few more questions, of course. What are you doing when you're not at work? Like, tell us something interesting about you that most people would be shocked to know. John, you can go first. Okay. So like I mentioned before, I have three young children. Um, I have five-year-old little girl and then twin two-year-old boys. So when I'm not at work, they keep, you know, keep me pretty occupied. But personally, what I like to do in my spare time whenever I have it is I like to ride motorcycles. I do dirt bikes and that sort of thing. I actually do um, some vintage motorcycle races. And so I have a bunch of older motorcycles that we race. And so that's kind of what I like to do in my free time. When I have free time, I haven't been on a motorcycle in quite some time, but um, I miss it. But whenever I have a chance, I like to get out there and relaxing to me. Right. I can imagine having little ones. Free time is really scarce. So when you do get it, it's like, let's grab it and hold on to it. Yeah, exactly. I keep I keep telling my wife, I say, you know, I can't wait to buy motorcycles for the twins. And she like, it's way too early to be stressing me out. About Not having that. it. <laughs> yeah. Thank you, John. Mike, tell us a little bit about what you do in your free time. What calms you down? What makes you happy? Well, I'm not quite as rambunctious as uh, dirt biking through the trails and stuff like John. You know, I, I have little ones too, but they're all grown up now. And so my little ones here are my saving grace for my dogs. They always keep me company, even as I'm talking out of my office at home right now. I have my office mate sitting in the chair next to me. But getting outside the house, I mean, I do a lot of work around the yard in the house, but my relaxing time is, you know, taking the kayaks out and just kind of cruising around, just taking in nature and just decompressing. Awesome. It's always nice to know what makes a person tick outside of their workplace, you know, outside of the day-to-day job responsibility, what makes you tick. So is there anything in particular that surprised you about working with the state? Mike, we'll start with you. Not really. Working with the state, I mean, it's probably, in my professional career, it's very promising to know that being with a group of people that is so driven and have the common goal and work so well with each other. You know, I've been here almost a year now with the state, which is kind of surprising. It's gone that fast, even through this COVID time. But just how how eager everybody is to help each other out. All, what can we do to help? If you need anything, let us know. So that that, that common goal mindset is just was really surprising that everybody has that same thing and there's not a not a bad one in the bunch. 
Right. And that's definitely a predominant, um, I guess, mindset that exists in school nutrition, that servant mentality. We really not just serve a meal, but we want to serve people to help them be better. I think that servant theme takes us a long way. So, John, what about you? Yeah, so I'm, I'm, I'm pretty new to the position. I've been here only a couple months now. And I would say the biggest adjustment for me working with Godot is just the pace of things. Um, working in professional kitchens, there's always a thousand things that need to be done right now. You're always moving and it's just on to the next thing, on to the next thing. Working with Godot, a nice change of pace is the fact that with our team, we actually take the time. We get together quite often and we will work on a project, it seems like, until we get it perfect. It's nice to just have that that breath of fresh air of being like, okay, we can take our time with it a little bit. Right. You can breathe a little, unlike yeah, kitchens, exactly. which I know they can be very hectic. Yeah, they're, they're pressure cookers. They're, you know, they, they can be, <laughs> no they can pun be intended. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Let's get into some, get some of the important questions out of the way. What were you eating when you were in school? And or what were the some of your favorite meals back in the day? I can. I know mine was always that square pizza, what was actually a rectangular <laughs> pizza, and I think we would always get a side of pineapples or something. Of course, this was a long time ago, but that was the meal that I remember, and that was like my favorite in school. So if you guys could share, what was your favorite? It's like etched in my mind. <laughs> we'll start with you, John. Yeah, the, the, like whenever I think of school meals, the first thing, and this is, you know, this is not, this is not highbrow at all, but. Um, <laughs> The first thing that always pops in my mind, we called them cheese dreams. And it was basically just a half of a hamburger bun and they would put a slice of uh, cheese on it and put it in the oven and melt them. And I can remember in elementary school, loving cheese dream day. And and I, I, I will still like as a midnight snack, I will still sometimes just get a slice of American cheese, put it on a hamburger bun, pop it in the oven. And it's just pretty nostalgic for me to do that. And but I don't even know if they still do those in school nutrition or not. I doubt it. It's the simple things. I mean, it's funny because from elementary school to now, you're still doing it. It's, just, it's a place of comfortability. So exactly. that's pretty cool. Exactly. Mike, what's your favorite? Yeah, you kind of stole my thunder there, Ro. I mean, back to it. And that's the first <laughs> thing that comes to mind was those rectangle pizzas when I was there. They had that buttery crust and they always crisp rectangle pizza day. And that's what everybody looked forward to. I guess one of the other ones that you know really stood out for me, especially in grade school, you know, I don't know if I'm dating myself or not, um, but they would always make us sack lunches and we'd take our little, we were able to walk to a, a community park. This is down in Southern Alabama and we'd do this little half a mile hike and all, and they'd give us these bag lunches. And it was my first introduction to peanut butter and honey sandwiches. And uh, wow. that was always remembering that going up. Cause I just always enjoyed going to the park as the class and we just spent the, half the day or whatever it was, you know, just running around in the big oak trees and playing on the swing sets and jumping over the creeks and all that kind of stuff. And then sitting down and having those peanut butter and honey sandwiches. So that was kind of that nostalgia thing for me there. And yeah, that's we, so cool. <laughs> yeah, we, we would get those as well, like when we would have field trip days and there's always a peanut butter honey sandwich and a hard boiled egg and then some sort of juice in there. So, yeah. <laughs> now I'm a little bit hungry, just a little. <laughs> So we want to jump back into talking about your role as culinary specialist. I've heard a lot of talk about culinary connections um, and how you all plan to connect with school districts and continue to support them to and influence making those quality meals. Jump in and tell us a little bit about the upcoming culinary connection opportunities. Um, we had some, you know, directors reach out and say, hey, we need some 
love to have you come out to our district and um, you know talk to our staff. Now there's only two culinary specialists, and we have how many districts out there? 100 plus. Well, I can't remember what it is number. A lot. <laughs> yeah, a lot. So there's no way that the two of us could get to every district. We started thinking about one: how can we reach out to the districts and be the most effective? I'm kind of going back and forth about things, and we're saying, you know, if we can kind of do a live, you know, webinar meeting, whatever you want to call it, where we can have a topic, make it available for people to type in questions, and that way we have that immediate response. Every school district is so different. You know, some of them have culinary specialists, some of them have chefs, some of them have nutritionists that run their menus and help support the culinary side of things. Other ones don't. And we want to be able to help those especially come out if they have questions or something, you know, hey, how can I handle this? Now, normally we cook it this way, but this piece of equipment broke. How else can we do that? How can we still produce this menu item when that piece of equipment doesn't work. Hopefully we can be there to help answer them. And if there's some question we don't have the answer right then, we can have the time to research and get it back out to everybody, you know, so we can have that follow through. So we want to be accessible. Not Absolutely. Just, and we're going to help find solutions for them. Right. Um, it's interesting you said accessibility because that's the word I wrote down on my notes exactly when you were talking. Having access to people, as it, that's important. I think that's one of the things about Georgia School Nutrition that makes us extraordinary is that people can have access to us, maybe not through just a phone call or just an email, but creating space um, in a virtual environment for people to have access to us and ask questions as they come along because stuff comes up every day and sometimes it can't wait. Just creating as many opportunities for them to connect with us as possible. What is one piece of equipment do you think is essential in a kitchen? Can you tell me one that has to be there? <laughs> the staff. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> the staff. I like it. I like because it. <laughs> the staff can make anything work. Coming from the working in the district, the staff care. They're there for the kid and they can make it happen. No matter what it is, what the problem is, they can make it happen. You know, there's things you would love to have. Yeah. <laughs> you know, you know it, it, it would work, you know, blast chillers and combi ovens and all that kind of stuff. But a lot of districts don't, aren't able to have that type of equipment. I think the most I've learned from a culinary perspective as, as a result of listening to you all was during MC 2021 and Michael was showing us how to actually cut, um, how to sharpen knives and stuff. And it's interesting. I've actually applied those techniques at home. I appreciate that. If you could do that for me, imagine what you're doing for our stakeholders. We're creating opportunities to demonstrate safety, creating opportunities for them to ask questions, making all those vital connections. They matter because they can implement them in the their personal lives as well as in the professional setting and share with others. So thanks for sharing that information, guys. All right. So Mike, Tell us a little bit more about Culinary Connections, maybe the time, the location. How can people get connected? We're going to host our Culinary Connections, John and I are, every third Wednesday of the month uh, at 2 p.m. It's going to be a, via Teams meeting. Dr. Dotson sent out an invitation to directors and coordinators. So if there's something you're interested in and did not get that uh, link, just contact your coordinator or director and see about getting that link so you can join us. Perfect. Thanks for sharing that. So we do have a few more closing questions. We want to learn as much about you all as possible because I think our districts need you all as another support arm to ensure that we're getting these quality meals on tables and in kids' bellies. We want you to talk to someone you know that is out there listening or a group of people you hope would be listening to the podcast right now. 
What does being a Georgia School Nutrition professional mean to you and what do you hope it means to or for our community? John, I'll start with you. Jump back to what Michael said when we first got on about how, to me, it feels like this is what I can do to make a difference in my community and my state. I love I love cooking. I love working with my hands. And over the past several years, I've found that I really, really also like teaching what I know. So I, I feel like I have a pretty good knack for breaking down um, some of the culinary basics into pretty simplistic terms to be able to translate to someone who you know might be new to a professional kitchen. I, I feel like if I can show someone a way to dice an onion that might save them a minute per onion, which doesn't sound like a lot of time until you're in a professional kitchen <laughs> and you have to dice a hundred onions and that adds up pretty quickly. Right. Right. So that is, that is what, you know, I feel like I can bring to school nutrition in Georgia. And I kind of hope that other people look at us as uh, a resource to be able to, to lean on us for that knowledge that Michael and I have accrued over the past, you know, I've, I've been a professional chef for, almost 20 years and Michael has a little bit more, you know, experience than I do in that. Over that time, you pick up a lot of tips and tricks and things that people might not understand or know, but you know, I feel like between the two of us, we we should have most of the answers that people are looking for. Right. So you mentioned tips and tricks. Do you have any tips to stop crying when cutting onions? Can you please help <laughs> us? Because I have not figured that out yet. <laughs> yeah, yeah. There's a, there's a few. Um, you know, mo- most most of the the uh, enzyme that's in onions that make you cry are actually toward the root end of the onion, right? So if you kind of stop a little short, and there's th- ways that you can dice an onion to where um, you don't quite get that far into the root, it kind of helps. You know, the fresher the onion, the little better too. I've also heard tricks of people putting them in the cooler or in the freezer, and they say that if they're cold, it helps. But yeah, I think you just get used to it. Sometimes, you know, just you cry. Know. Yeah, just cry. You know, everybody needs a good cry every once in a while, Ro. You know, right. Well, sometimes Thanks. it's funny if you just tell people to put on a, a dive mask or something like that, yeah. and then you come back and actually watch them doing that, and it's like it's not working. Well, yeah. But you get a good laugh for everybody else there. Especially if, it, especially if it still has a snorkel attached, right? <laughs> Less. <laughs> so, um, Mike, what about you? What does being a Georgia School Nutrition professional mean to you, and what do you hope it means for our community? Um, you know, making that change from, you know, the lunch lady syndrome to school nutrition professionals is major. And, and you know, now taking this time that we school nutrition has been put to the forefront in the media and everywhere else, now we see how important it is for getting all these children fed. That's the way I look at it. So now at the state level, I'm helping the district level people find better ways to do what they're doing so they can directly affect the lives of the kids that are coming through their lines. That's so wonderful. Making all of those connections, which I keep going back to that word, it's valuable, it's important. And as you mentioned, um, Mike, the pandemic has really amplified the value of school nutrition and just what it can do in schools and communities and children's lives as a whole. So we are, we know we're super special um, and now the world gets to see us on a platform just in a different way. We've always known that, but of course it's been amplified over the last year. I want to go back to one thing about the culinary connections, Mike. Are there any ideas, do you have any ideas of what your topics may be? They're going to vary. Um, I think this first one we're going to start talking about is coming back to school. What are the key items that you need to focus on? A lot of the staffs that worked over last summer during the pandemic, you know, they're tired. So they're going to have those two, two and a half months to decompress and refresh. 
So what are those key topics that they need to really focus on when they're coming back into their schools and the food safety aspects and getting back into the swing of things again? Because you know, that knowledge is already there, but right. sometimes it's, it's kind of a little fuzzy. So right. that's what we're going to kind of start talking with the first off, and then we'll kind of see what type of questions and stuff we get. So wonderful to hear. It's been so great talking to you guys today and learning about your diverse backgrounds and what it is that you bring to school nutrition and how you can support our school districts. I want to say thank you for joining us today. And we want to invite our listeners to connect to the hashtag love what you do campaign. Is there anything else you'd like to share about um, culinary resources that are available or opportunities for students to get engaged in the culinary arts? Yeah, absolutely, Rose. So um, if you go to the School Nutrition uh, website, snp.gado.org, and click on the Outreach tab, and under there, there's a culinary section. And we have several resources under that tab for school nutrition staff, for parents and students as well. Um, We have some recipes, some training videos, and we're currently working on more. We're always updating them as we think of more things to add to that page. But it's a great start right now. And then another thing that allows students to engage more is the student chef competition. Um, Since I'm brand new, I've been working a little bit over the past couple months helping plan for next year. But I'll pass it on to Michael because he was here last year. Even with the pandemic, we we switched over to a virtual platform for this and we still had enough teams to compete. We do a competition every year for middle school and high school students and the high school students are eligible for scholarships. Um, both at the state level and then uh, they have a regional competition, which can actually give them some full ride scholarships for this past year. So um, John was talking about the culinary resource page and we're doing a lot of updates on some of the stuff that we have in there. And the way we came up with some of those updates, we started a culinary advisory committee that utilizes some of our other district level um, culinary professionals that are out there that lead their districts. And they're kind of our eyes and ears and feet on the ground. So we have a monthly meeting with those guys, find out what the concerns are. And right now, I think we have about 10 people on the committee throughout the whole state. It's a great place that we bounce ideas off of. We share best practices, share recipes, that type of stuff. And they have concerns that they hear about, bring them up to us. And then we find answers and, you know, utilize their brains. So it's not just John and I to help create these trainings that are beneficial to everybody. Thank you so much, John and Mike. Um, So this brings us to the end of today's episode. I'm Rolandria Boyce. You can call me Ro. It was a pleasure hosting today's discussion with our special guests, John Huff and Michael DuBose. Look out for more insightful discussions connecting those who want to make a difference in the lives of children and communities and connect with us online via Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, or LinkedIn using the hashtag FuelingGA. You can also email us at fuelingga at godot.org. We welcome your reviews, episode suggestions, and feedback. Until next time, the Georgia School Nutrition Program is fueling Georgia's future with excellence, one school meal at a time.